0: Hello everyone, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Refold podcast, where we talk about everything related to language learning. My name is Clayton, also known as George Pig, and I manage the community here at Refold. Today, our guest is Israel Lai. You may know him by the handles Clowergin or Rhapsody in Lingo. He's a polyglot and a longtime language nerd who has a language blog and a linguistics podcast in Cantonese. All right, Israel, it is good to finally have you on the podcast. Yeah, great to finally talk. I've so, known you so along without actually speaking to you. Yeah, it's it's been about two years, I think. Um, oh, and <laughs> yeah, I think you've known other people in the Refold community a lot longer, actually.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, like,
0: you know, Isabella from the language blogging community. Oh, okay. How did you know that? Yeah. Well, we've, we, we... we've talked about it. Have you? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've
1: uh, known her since I was a teenager, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is yeah, revealing my age, I think. Uh, yeah. How old are you, Israel? That's uh, Is that the question you want to start with? I do, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because recently lots of people have been asking me that, and then every time I have to do some mental maths because I'm at that age now where I have to do maths. But I'm I'm 26 going on 27.
0: Okay, okay, you're about as old as I thought you were. Gotcha. Good, good. No surprises then. (laughs) So do you want to introduce yourself for the people who may not be aware of who you are?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, Let's see, where do I start? I am a composer first and foremost. I'm doing a Ph.D. in composition here in Manchester, which means I write music for people to play in concerts and stuff. And uh, when I want to procrastinate on my music, such as this very moment, I do language things. Uh, so uh, since uh, I mean, I, I grew up in a trilingual, in some sense, environment, and then uh, in undergrad, what three languages. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I'm from Hong Kong, so I, I my family speaks Cantonese. Most of my society speaks Cantonese, but um, we learn English from a very early age um not necessarily well but we do do that and then we learn mandarin uh for a couple of years in school and that comes very naturally to us because we write in standard written chinese which is basically mandarin so we just learn to pronounce it Uh, and then in my undergrad i uh started doing german in university and sort of kick-started my language journey on my own Uh, yeah i started with lots of the online polyglot community you know the classic polyglot youtubers and forums and then uh yeah so 10 years on uh, i now run my own language blog and youtube channel uh, rhapsody and lingo i talk about languages for of course uh, my journey with them or i uh, increasingly give talks about languages and language learning and uh, i also have a podcast in cantonese about what's something a slightly more towards the side of linguistics And uh, yeah, that's a long and short of it.
0: (laughs) And your podcast in Cantonese has written Cantonese transcripts, right?
1: Oh, yes. That's sort of one of the aims of my podcast uh, in general. So uh, I wanted to uh, increase the amount of Cantonese being used in different domains because uh, we were talking earlier, right? Cantonese is one of the languages that are commonly limited to a couple of domains Hmm. people only speak it in their daily lives Hmm. and so on they don't really think of using it in like academic contexts or anything that's more sophisticated so i thought we're going to try to talk about cantonese and more importantly uh write uh or in this case transcribe all this um linguistics babbling in written cantonese uh and uh, that's uh hopefully that's contributed
0: contributing to the world of written cantonese a little bit so when you talk about linguistics in cantonese are you using uh like standard written chinese linguistics terms or are you using english terms how does that work yes
1: um that's a good question i would (laughs) i would just talk about that with my co-host um so only one of us has an actual background in linguistics um so he studied in english Uh, so all the terminology he knows as well as The stuff I've learned from the Internet, because it's the Internet, Uh, everything is in English. So oftentimes, especially when we started out, we had to look up what the Chinese words are. And uh, the fun thing about Chinese languages is that you can, uh, especially with technical things, right? With daily life things, they, they vary a lot. But with technical terms, you just take the standard Chinese term and you pronounce it in Cantonese and voila uh so that's what we had to do a lot in the beginning we actually had to look up what a vowel and a consonant is in Cantonese uh but at this point we're 50 episodes in and we sort of got used to the uh basic jargon and it's just once in a while we have to talk about uh like Morpho syntactical alignment and then we have to look that up on Wikipedia but otherwise uh it's like second nature uh which is funny because when I talk to normal people about things that they should know, like vowels and consonants. They have no idea what the word is because
0: they also learned that in English. And that's pretty normal, I think, for for Hong Kong Cantonese anyways, to have some degree of code mixing Oh, a a high degree. Uh, Even personally, I do that incessantly. Now, I did have a question. What is your background with language specifically? So you mentioned Mm -hmm. being raised in a trilingual environment. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, Mandarin, Cantonese, English, a bit of German. Um, it seems like you're kind of internet famous for your Welsh ability. And Wait, your Welsh what? studies?
1: No, no way. I've barely started. I I can't be known for that. Um, okay. Um, so first of all, I would not say that I grew up in a trilingual environment, specifically because the environment itself is pretty monolingual it's just the school the education that i received was uh, multilingual and then yeah i'm going to quickly go through what i've had so far so i i have a rule uh that i should avoid learning similar languages because i'm extremely scared of mixing up languages so i i did some french in school just as a um i went to a school where they had like basic french classes uh so i didn't go very far and then i went to alliance française when i was in secondary school uh and then i i went to duolingo after that but uh, that's the extent of my french um uh, i did german in uni and then i spent a year abroad in sweden that's where i learned swedish yes that breaks my rule um but i i will live there so i sort of had to do it uh, i don't have to but i wanted to do it uh and because I learned Swedish way too fast. I had some free time, so I started Polish. And that is sort of my signature language at this point, because I uh, I have learned slash I'm trying to learn it to uh, an advanced level uh, to a level where I can use it as comfortably as English. I've heard people praise your Polish. Oh, (laughs) I'm still working hard. Uh, I sometimes struggle when I'm speaking it. really depends on what I'm talking about. it's, uh, it's there's really... um
0: there's an active community member in refold Bart uh, Bart Polish name um, mm. who has spoken highly of your polish i I've yet to meet him okay i I cannot pronounce his name in um in Chinese, but he's got a a chinese handle i I can't read it mm. so you've you've probably met him and just don't know him by the name Bart
1: okay, yeah, probably. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anything beyond that, um, it's, they are sort of relatively like side projects. Learned mm-hmm. some uh, Hebrew, Taiwanese, uh, and then more recently Welsh. And I just started a bit of Turkish as a fun project thing. Uh, yeah, those, those languages, they don't mean as much to me as the previous ones did mm-hmm. because of how long I've been doing them and because of other connections in my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what is it like learning a language like Welsh, where the community is pretty much totally bilingual? um, It's obviously a minority language in its own country. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Have you heard of the, just as, as a side note, uh,
1: have you heard of the, the Welsh government's goal to reach a million speakers by 2050? I know almost zero about Wales. Okay. That's, that's, they have good. a lot of castles. <laughs> they have very nice castles, and they are like two hours from where I am. Um, but yeah, so they uh, split of statistics. They are at around seventeen percent Welsh speaking at this point, and they're trying to get the number to one million by twenty fifty. But that would still be less than forty percent of the whole population. So, like, even if they reach their goal, they are still a minority language in their own country. So that's sort of something that everyone has come to accept, but it's sort of about uh, finding a way to live uh, and to build communities, linguistic communities, despite being a minority. And it's it's interesting because there's a lot of um, uh, stark contrast between how um, the government values it as the official language, even if it's just lip service, there's a lot of welsh that is used in government or in public services but at the same time uh, there's a good portion of the welsh population that are very against um like imposing welsh on them specifically so uh yeah it's it, it's it's an interesting dynamic that we don't have in hong kong um even though we often say that we are becoming a minority language uh yeah so how it's like to learn it and it's it's mainly the resources isn't it um because uh it's not even about whether it's um a small portion of the population it's just because of the fact that it is quite small so compared to your russian your spanish or french there's going to be very little resources um to use so when you want to 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 get some TV, when you, say, have one you say
0: resources. Are you yes. referring to like l- language material for learners or are you I'm referring to that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, language learning resources, there, there there, are a lot of um, old textbooks. There are some new ones, but the new ones are mostly standardized around one curriculum, uh, and that includes Duolingo. And, that's and you're not a fan of that about.
0: curriculum, right?
1: I, I, I'm, I've I'm got nothing against the curriculum itself, but I'm against the fact that everything uses the same I curriculum. F-
0: I feel like I've read a blog post of yes. yours where you talked about this.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, I, I managed to piss off some people, uh, but I, I, I still think that uh, to make l- language learning um, effective, we need more diverse resources. Like I would love to have like three different textbooks covering the same thing from different perspectives. Um, so that's, uh, that's that's the state of it. Um, and resources also include um, people to talk to, and obviously it's not easy to find someone to talk to when it's uh, a minority uh, in their own country. Uh, so it's mostly it mostly comes down to um, more online tutors and like uh, meetups of Welsh speakers and learners, and those are quite active, um, but you need to seek them out and to them specifically you just can't walk up somewhere um and expect someone to speak the language to you
0: with welsh specifically i was under the impression that there were actually quite a lot of services in welsh like yeah. um, i think there's like a sort of a national broadcaster that has programs in welsh and you know it, it seems like um it, very much like a global north language Whereas, like, you've got some languages in the global south that have like way more speakers than Welsh that have almost no support.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, whereas Wales is still a relatively wealthy part of the world and the government does try to support it. Um, so like that's, you can find, yeah, media in Welsh.
1: Yeah, that's that's a saving grace. Um, because I, I know lots of languages they don't even get much recognition, which is w- where. Welsh was a couple of decades ago, Mm -hmm. but um, ever since people got more aware of these issues, they try to revitalize it, and it's got governmental support. So, there's a lot there that is being offered, um, by way of government funding. Uh, it's not always uh, effective or correct, you get lots of wrong Welsh around the country, you see signs that are that make stupid mistakes, but yes, it is. it is on a very good path towards revitalization, uh, especially with, uh, with the broadcaster uh, S4C. Uh, it's, it, it is coming up with very good programs, I have to say. Yeah, it's just a shame that with uh, British television in general, they just expire after two weeks and then you can't watch it when, when you have to spend like one week to understand one episode. Got
0: to find a way to, to grab them and save them for later. someone knows how to do that i'm sure (laughs) Uh, Um, so i I do have to ask welsh is famously split into two varieties north and south ignoring patagonian welsh in argentina Um, what do the materials teach what is the kind that is broadcast is there a standard welsh they they sort of Aim, aim at, I've heard this a lot with a lot of uh, minority languages being revitalized in Europe, where the dialects can actually be quite divergent and there's often yeah, an artificial yeah. standard. What do they teach? What do they use for broadcasting?
1: That's a good question. Um, so with lots of majority languages, they have gone through a phase of like uh, uh, nationalism. That's why they create the national language out of the natural state, which is uh, mishmash of dialects. And with Welsh, um, so most people say that they have two varieties, but honestly, there's way more than that. So as far as I know, so don't quote me in that as far as I know, there are five main varieties, you can group them in north and south. And at the end of the day, it's just about what words people use uh, in their families in their communities. Uh, And um, so they simplify grammar in different ways. So for example, um, uh, it, it is not in formal proper Welsh is um, neither do. Uh, and some people say the D some people say do. Um, so you see the taking out the sounds uh, in different ways. So but at the end of the day, it's sort of the same grammar, the same words. And uh, with the, the, the mass media, they are also very accepting of the varieties and uh that's the thing that they're actually proud of uh especially when you compare them to english uh because english is always like oh we got the perfect queen's english or king's english now and then uh, you have the the dialects the accents that are inferior to that uh, and that they sound funny and so on but in in welsh they always like yes we have so many different ways to speak welsh we even have uh sort of a learner's Welsh which is what people learn uh to speak when they go to classes uh, they they speak uh at a fluent level but without the familial background uh so that's a a new variety of Welsh that is being created by the whoever's making the courses um there's like a, a new Cardiff Welsh that is like a mix from people moving into the capital etc etc so they are very welcoming towards all types of um, varieties from all types of people and I think that's a good thing because if you start doing uh you, st- you start dividing people uh instead of uniting them it's not very conducive towards the revitalization and on that's why on TV you see all of them uh from my experience uh, I'm mostly here Southern Welsh but that could be just the kind of shows that I I have drifted towards. I have no idea.
0: So to totally go off topic here, off of Welsh, sure. uh, and onto your other languages, how do you handle that wanderlust? You've got like eight languages sort of in various levels of maintenance and learning and activity. How do you handle the wanderlust? How do you like it's quite difficult because I feel I feel like a lot of refolders have one or two max, you know, um, mm-hmm. you can sort of divide the lingo sphere, the, the language spaces online with people who like language because they like language like us
1: mm-hmm. and
0: people who like a language because they like the culture or the media, which I would say the vast majority of refolders yeah. fall into people learning. Yeah for anime normal people, people learning for dramas Nor- yes normies <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't say normies no
1: normal people uh not not weird geeks <laughs> um so what do you mean by wanderlust um you mean like yeah, want so, to go to the place to
0: explore the uh, culture no not not wanderlust like physically but like linguistic wanderlust how do you ah. stop yourself from just being a hyper dabbler and changing language every other week oh yeah um i think For one,
1: the rule that I said earlier about avoiding similar languages really helps because usually I see with people learning like ten languages, they they learn one, for example, Spanish, and then they discover neighboring cultures and they get interested in those cultures and learn those languages. And because of my rule, I don't fall into that trap. (laughs) Uh, So like I I can enjoy similar cultures. But um, since I try to avoid learning that language, I just I end up not going very deep into that, uh, and uh, also it's not like a low-hanging fruit. So I know that if I want to learn a new language, for example, Turkish, there's going to be a steep learning curve. So I, when if I actually start doing it, uh, there is a sense of commitment. So for example, there have been other languages that I've dabbled in. I'm not ashamed to say I I, I dabble. I used to dabble more, I think. Um, but I make it clear that whether I'm learning something for real or not. So, for example, with Welsh, with Turkish, my newest languages, I also started dabbling uh, and then at some point I decided, yeah, I really I really enjoy this. I want to go further with this. I'm going to make it official, well, YouTube official <laughs> and, um, and go on with it. I don't know whether I actually go to a decent level at the end of this, but at the same time, um, I want to make it part of my life, uh, so to say. Um, so, uh, yeah, I when whenever I list, a li- I make a list of languages that I speak. Uh, I only count the ones that I actually feel a connection to, whether or not I speak them well. Uh, so that could be something I've learned for a long time, something that I plan to learn for a long time. Uh, that, and that's how I sort of compartmentalize them in my head. I make it very clear. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it still happens. Like sometimes, uh, for example, I've been uh, in a BSL class for two semesters. I, I enjoy the process of learning it. Uh, oh, British Sign Language for those who don't is know. Is this it. your first signed language? The acronym. Yes, it is. Unless you
0: count the alphabet that I learned as a kid in school. Uh, that's the american alphabet. And what what sign language do they use in your your home area of Hong Kong? Hong Kong sign language. So okay, so there's a Hong Kong sign language. Yeah,
1: so that is uh that is a language that developed out of um deaf schools that are established by people who came from Shanghai. So it is an offshoot of chinese sign language. But okay. um because we don't have an alphabet in chinese um or cantonese for that matter, uh, we use the uh, ASL, American Sign Language Alphabet uh, for for any English words that we might spell. But yeah, I've been learning British Sign Language for, for two semesters uh, and I really enjoy it. I enjoy and I feel like it's something that is important to me as some sort of vague language activist. Um, but at the same time, I'm not like connected socially or um, yeah, mentally. But- not connected enough community. to the language or to the community, obviously, that's what I had in mind. I'm not connected enough, or I don't feel connected enough to the language itself or the community to to make it a core part of my multilingual life. So even if I do continue learning it, uh, it's going to take a while until I would say, "Yeah I, I signed BSL,
0: and that's how, where I draw the line. Sign languages are fascinating. Um... Oh, absolutely. Because what a lot of people who, who are not familiar with them are not aware of is that they vary quite differently. You've got different signed language families. For example, I think ASL is uh, a descendant of French sign language. It is. Um, and in some countries, there's even a split. So, for example, in the Philippines, there's Filipino sign language and American sign language. Oh, okay. And um, they're they both exist. Filipino sign language has the most official support, but uh, uh, particularly in some parts of the country that had a lot of Peace Corps workers, Mm -hmm. the deaf schools were set up by Americans. And there's actually a split where not all deaf Filipinos speak the same sign language. You've got some who uh, were taught the American way and some who were taught the Filipino way. So uh, some deaf communities have totally different sign language uh from the other in the same country
1: that is wild um yeah
0: and is are those completely unrelated languages or i do not i actually do not okay. know much about fsl um i i assume so but i'm not really sure
1: right yeah because just this morning i learned about um catalan sign language and valencian sign language and those are things that exist in spain and mm-hmm. uh and apparently they those two are are most more similar to each other than they are to spanish sign language okay man yeah but that's the extent that i know about them it's just interesting that um those regions have more of a regional identity and then they have their own sign language
0: yeah very yeah. interesting so i would love to hear more about your journey with BSL in the future. Um, oh, if I actually get anywhere with it. <laughs> if you get anywhere Hopefully. With it. Uh, there's one lady who I've actually been wanting to reach out to on, she's made a couple of update videos on YouTube, who is refolding. So using the immersion method yeah. uh, for ASL. Hmm. And I think that would be fascinating because actually I'm ashamed to admit, I do not know a lot about signed languages. Um, it's sort of a black spot in my you know, knowledge about languages and linguistics.
1: Yeah, that's that's normal. I feel like when you talk to anyone who is into languages, when you look at if you you pick any 20 YouTube polygraphs, for example, uh, you hardly find any signed language. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only one I can think of is Richard Simcott, who did one video of BSL numbers like 12 years ago. I don't know where he's at afterwards. Um,
0: uh, you know, if he kept with it, he'd be quite far. He's, uh, he's, a, he's, just he's so good at it. He's the real deal when it comes yeah. to a polyglot.
1: Yeah. But, um, yeah, most people don't think about sign languages a lot because they're so, they, I mean, they are everywhere, but at the same time, you feel, you feel like they're very removed from you, um, mm-hmm. socially and also in terms of the language, the nature of the languages it, themselves. hmm
0: yeah, I, I don't know. I definitely think that it would be worth me going down the ASL route at some point in the future. Um, sure.
1: I would because... absolutely encourage anyone to learn a sign language. I feel like it's such an important thing. Um, yeah, because for so many people, learning a language is just a hobby, mm-hmm. um, especially, I, I guess, on <laughs> Um, People doing it for fun, to enjoy the culture. Um, that That is a perfectly fine reason, but at the same time, uh, there is uh there are just all around us there are these languages that are being used by so many people and uh if we could just learn a bit of them, we would do them a huge favor uh just to make their lives easier and uh, in it's it's important in a different way from for example learning an immigrant language and yeah so i think I think it's, it's very much worth doing even just a little bit.
0: Yeah, I know, I know two signs and I don't know if they're in Filipino sign language or American sign language. Uh, you take like this for thirsty, mm-hmm. this means woman. And, um, at one point I dated a, um, uh, a teacher and, you know, special education teachers need to know a bit of sign language yeah. as part of their, their curriculum. So I, I do have a few signs. I'm quite fond of this one for telling someone I'm thirsty if I can't talk. So, um. I definitely think it's useful, um, even just to have a way to communicate non-verbally with with other speaking people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I always feel like this is a more selfish reason to learn sign language. But I I would very much love if other people could just sign with me, even if we're all hearing, because Mm -hmm. there's so much more you could do. You could sign over a long distance. You could sign in a noisy club. Uh, sometimes when, when I'm in a noisy environment, I just keep shouting and nobody gets what I'm saying. And I'm like, oh, I want to sh- shut up now. Let's just sign.
0: But, yeah, <laughs> it's not very practical, sadly, at this point in time. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that's fascinating. BSL, um, Welsh, Polish. <laughs> so...
1: I have a very eclectic and weird mix, I know. Not exactly a typical...
0: Bog standard. <laughs> yeah, I think well. So I don't. I cannot remember all of your languages, but I think Welsh um, and Hebrew are two that are not super commonly learned.
1: Yeah, they they these are usually limited limited to a specific demographic. Mm-hmm. So Welsh usually for people who are raised in Wales and want to reconnect with that side of their Culture and identity, and Hebrew obviously for people who are moving to Israel, uh, which they still do a lot, and they have very good schools teaching them. Uh, yeah, so it's it's these are both demographics I'm that that that? not in.
0: <laughs> is that the word for the Hebrew teaching schools, ulpan, ulpan, okay, ulpan.
1: and uh, yeah, funny story. Um, so there was actually an ulpan in Wales, or oh. at least there was. So they copied the method from Israel. And uh, made it their own thing. And because it's Welsh, they changed the U to a W, which is the corresponding vowel in the all vowel in, in Welsh. Uh, but I don't, I'm not sure if it's a thing anymore. Uh, they probably like merged it into some of the standardized courses. But it's, yeah, funny coincidence.
0: <laughs> yeah. So obviously, you're taking Polish to a very high level. That's sort of your, your bread and butter. Um, but in Polish, again, it's not. <sighs> It's not a small language you know like again no. people people may not be aware that it's the second most like widely spoken slavic language oh absolutely after it, it is huge um so it's definitely like a it's a big language but not a big language at the same time it's got millions of speakers but at the same time i i'm assuming the content a lot of it's going to be in english or um it's nah. limited to one country more or less. Yeah. Not including I think diaspora.
1: That's the thing. I, I remember you saying um sometimes we say lesser spoken languages when we mean lesser, lesser languages. Learned. Yes. Yeah. So Polish is definitely one of the latter category. And uh, uh it is weird that it's uh so infrequently studied because Poles are everywhere uh in Europe. I mean yeah, or in the global north, I guess. Yeah, but but uh, they I don't know. They I, I don't have statistics, but I feel like they are one of the um, most widespread diasporas after, mm-hmm. I don't know, like Mandarin Cantonese communities. Uh, and it, it makes a lot of sense to, to learn it. And uh, for example, in a country like the UK, the, you go to McDonald's, you go to a kiosk, it has English, Welsh because it's a official language and Polish, and we keep joking that it is our second official language in this country, uh, especially if you go to places like uh, Scotland and there's a lot of Poles there. It actually makes more sense to uh, it, it, to learn Polish than any other language over there.
0: I believe it. Uh, I think Polish has a sort of a, a, a status similar to Spanish in the US. Oh.
1: Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, That good point.
0: Yeah, a large yeah. immigrant community.
1: Um, Except in, in the US, you do learn Spanish a lot. And in the UK, nobody learns Polish.
0: We do. Um, I had two years of Spanish. Um, not a lot. Um, I think they start kids younger these days. I'm not really sure. Um, but we do have a little bit of Spanish for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, when you talk about language learning, most people think of Spanish. For sure,
0: yeah. Um, and I, I think it's a little bit unfair because Spanish is often seen as an easy language, whereas Polish is not seen as an easy language. So, yeah, I, 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 I feel I like that... About that part. Thank you. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, Spanish is hard for me for some reason, uh, and that's really ironic. It's because you can't show your R's, that is one part of it, uh, and it's a it's an excuse that I have. Because Spanish requires you to to d- differentiate between the r and the r.
0: but um yeah. That it, sounds it, almost Czech. <laughs> oh my god. No. Yeah, I, I knew it, my, my trilled R is way too airy. It's it's um, it sounds like I'm almost voiceless, maybe. Something's something's up about it.
1: Uh could that could be it. Um yeah, I don't know, I can't figure it out. But the language itself uh it's it's hard to say why it's just as young people say i'm not vibing with it and uh i think that's
0: absolutely fine so english and spanish are really not that close in a lot of ways but they share a lot of vocab and i think that causes people to think it's going to be easy but um there's a lot that's foreign in Spanish oh, for English speakers. Yeah, I, I can't speak for
1: Spanish, but I, I speak some French. And to me, it is way harder than German. Uh, people think German is really hard because it's got all the grammar stuff. But at the same time, the the way they phrase stuff it is more intuitive for someone who speaks English. Hmm, like that's in language. French, there is a. Yeah, exactly. So in French, I assume in Spanish as well. I don't know. There is no way to say things like how big, how small, how long. You can't just put those words together. You have to rephrase it to mm-hmm. ask the same thing. So what is the distance? What is the length? Um, and uh, that that is actually one of my greatest weaknesses in French, because sometimes I just have to uh, rephrase something on the fly.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think that the shared vocab in some of these romance languages with English gives the illusion that they're quite easy to learn because they're easy to learn, to understand. But outputting is actually quite difficult when you get into, um, for one, romance verbs tend to be quite difficult for English speakers. You know, they've got multiple moods. Um, the conjugations can be tough. Um, I personally have always found analytic and agglutinative languages to be easier than fusional languages. So things, yeah, uh, I, I feel like there's a, a greater mental burden on with the fusional languages, um, and I definitely think that Romance verbs are quite foreign to English speakers. Um, yeah, I,
1: I I would agree. Uh, yeah, I remember when I started speaking Polish, it was literally like doing maths in my head uh because there's you're doing lots of calculations like this works with that and this goes this here because of this and then you, you you're thinking about 10 different parameters in one sentence um it was insane uh it's just that at some point it just became natural to me uh sometimes i still have to think about how to conjugate a verb uh because um they they are never perfectly regular in any language unless it's Esperanto. Um, so sometimes with the odd verb, I'm like okay, crap, that's a bit that's a different one. Uh, how does it go? But otherwise, uh, at some point, you just you just get used to when to use what forms of the words, and that's a, that's a comfort.
0: So, out of your languages. Um... What is the most interesting language that you've, you've dabbled in? Interesting. Yeah. And you, it doesn't you, have to be specifically the ones i dabbled in specifically the ones that you've dabbled in. Okay. What have you found interesting? So again, what's interesting is going to be different for all people, but for you specifically, was there something huh. that you found interesting? Cause you, you sort of have dabbled in at least eight languages, if not more. Um, I
1: have, um, Oh, that's a hard question. I might, I might go for Japanese. Japanese, really? Yeah, it's funny because not many people dabble in Japanese. They, they usually go all in. But uh, Japanese is a language that what? Well, I at the time I wouldn't have said I was dabbling in, but in retrospect, I would. Um, just because of its ah uh, its relationship with Cantonese, I would say, because you have all the shared vocabulary through whatever contact they had with ancient china but then the the grammar the structure is so different and then uh, they have interesting ways of phrasing certain things uh, where uh, when in, in english we have modal verbs for example can should things like that you sort of have an entire phrase just to say that thing and then they have so many what's the word uh they have onomatopoeia and then they have hmm. the w- words that are trying to emulate the feeling of something and it's completely foreign to me so when i um, hear and especially read japanese there's a lot that is very familiar um, uh, even even the the loan words in japanese sound usually sound more like cantonese than they do um, they, than they sound like mandarin uh, so there's a lot that I recognize, but then everything else is just, whoa. So, yeah, I that 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 contrast is very interesting to
0: me. Yeah, the Japanese sound symbolism, like pika pika being something that's sparkly or something, is quite interesting. But I think, actually, that's not unique to Japanese. Um, it's unique I among think, the ones that I know well. Oh, anyway. that you know, yeah. <laughs> I feel like um, some other languages do this. I feel like it's quite common in, in African languages. I think some South Asian languages. Uh, but yeah, it's think, definitely... So. Yeah, definitely. Japan is probably the the best known for the it. best known. I think. Yeah. Yeah, for that sort of sound symbolism. Idea phones. Um, Idea phones. Good mm-hmm. word. And you dabbled in Japanese. How long ago was that? Oh, okay. So when I was
1: an actual kid, I I yeah, went to kids. yeah, I went to some Japanese classes. Classes. I went to some Japanese classes, and um, uh, it, it was not a very good class. So I got the basics of it, and that was it. And then uh, around the time when I was discovering just the polyglot community in, in general, I had just learned German. And then I wanted to to do an experiment and see how easy Japanese would be for me as a native Cantonese speaker, um, in comparison to German, for example. And that's that's why I did the whole thing. I I learned it for a bit, didn't do it very well, and then I, yeah, I, I dropped it. Uh, <laughs> I don't again. I don't feel connected enough to that culture. Mm-hmm. But You're it, not a big it, enough weeb. <laughs> I was not going to say that word. Uh, no, I I like Japan, but not not enough for me to actually get good at the language.
0: Yeah, yeah you you know you, you seem to have avoided the common trap uh, <laughs> what of do you mean? learning. Well, <laughs> so of 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 learning related languages. So Japanese obviously is not technically related to a Chinese language, but it's sino So
1: it's it, it got is, a lot yeah. of
0: vocab borrowed from Middle Chinese. We have a lot um, in common. Mm. It's sort of like you know English and the Romance languages. You know exactly. They're exactly they're, they're both IE languages, but they're actually quite different. You know, if you were to go back a thousand years before the the Germanic languages and the the Romance languages started borrowing from each other, they're quite different. You know, um, it's different as say Welsh is to English. Actually, they the the European um, IE languages are actually quite diverse. There's just been a lot of shared vocab, uh, yeah. and you have that with Japanese and there are actually a lot of languages that you could have probably learned easily. Vietnamese. Um, you mentioned Hokkien, um, obviously Man- Hokkien. Mandarin. yeah, And um, you didn't go down that route of like just gobbling up all of the languages that have Chinese vocab.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, um, the funny thing is because the Um, online language learning community is so
0: Eurocentric. It's incredibly Eurocentric. It's incredibly Eurocentric. It's Eurocentric with a little bit of lip service paid to East Asia.
1: Yeah. And because of that, I, uh, when I started out, I didn't pay much attention to just other Asian languages. Uh, so I was thinking, okay, let's start with English because obviously you start with English, uh, and then where do you go from here? Uh, and then in retrospect, yeah, there's a lot I could have done. And I do have a lot of uh, Hong Kong language nerd friends who speak a bunch of Asian languages. Uh, but at that point, I was already moving over here. So there's not as much of a point to do so. And I, one of my biggest regrets uh, rega- uh, related to my time in Hong Kong is that I I should have learned uh, Filipino because it would have been a really easy language to use in the wild mm. so to speak um yeah or just any south asian language to a lesser extent but um to a lesser but still very high extent <laughs> but i i didn't i never did that uh i only thought okay your Ur- european language japanese korean is an option that's it uh but yeah so But now that I'm here, it makes more sense to learn European languages or languages that you find on this continent. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I did learn Hokkien uh, again, initially just as a language that I dabbled in. uh, And also it's a bit like Japanese in the sense that I wanted to experiment uh, because at that point I'd failed my Japanese experiment. And then I thought, okay, what if I learned a
0: language that is actually related to my mother tongue? I find I Hokkien to be very weird. And I don't wanna mean I don't mean that in a, a bad way. Go but for it. um I just find it very different from other Chinese languages. It is um,
1: quite different, like even genetically, it is it's split mm-hmm. off a bit more it split off earlier. earlier it, yeah. it
0: does not so Cantonese and Mandarin, a lot of uh a lot of people get angry when I say this, are closer than Cantonese and Hokkien. Um, because they they you know cantonese and mandarin both trace back to middle chinese yeah. whereas hokkien doesn't yeah um and hokkien
1: middle chinese
0: avoided yeah. some of the sound changes that were shared with mandarin and cantonese um the the palatalization you know tan versus chan so yeah. on and so forth um and he, it's just very strange the the hokkien tonal system with the oh. uh, the santi is very I love very it. Uh, different. Uh, <laughs> I love it's, how it's, weird it is. Yeah, Hokkien just yeah. feels very strange, and it sounds very harsh. So, uh, you know, in the Philippines, uh,
1: there the is primary
0: a community. primary Chinese language is Hokkien. Yeah, um, and yeah, it just it feels very feels like bizarre world Chinese because it's so different from all the other Sinic languages. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't yeah,
1: I, I know what you mean, but to me, it it felt closer because um it retains some of the features that uh primarily distinct cantonese and mandarin mm-hmm. so because well mandarin versus everything else basically right mandarin lost a lot of sounds uh, final sounds in in words um and then especially um one of the hardest things about Cantonese speakers learning mandarin is the what we call the check tone words uh, syllables uh, the the syllables that end in ptk um they disappeared in mandarin and that's not the main point the main point is that they they turn into something completely different in mandarin so whenever because uh, when, when we learn mandarin we sort of could just have a mental converter of sounds we know that this sounds this sound roughly corresponds to that sound etc but then these words these syllables completely random, right? break that yeah they break the system, and then we make all sorts of weird mistakes. So when I got to Hokkien, or Taiwanese, uh, it, it felt very endearing because they retained those features, and then I could basically, easily convert, um, easily they convert actually, between Cantonese and
0: Taiwanese. Hokkien is interesting because it's actually got... Um, it lost... Well, I say lost. It changed the the checked tone words into a glottal stop. Yeah. And then they borrowed back from Middle Chinese, the PTK. So now they've got um, they've got a a glottal stop as well as the the borrowed PTK check tones. Yeah. Um, It's sort of like um, in Filipino, the word for for Mm -hmm. bok choy is pechay. Mm. It's pe is is, you know, white and chai is, you know, vegetable. What sound
1: does the pe end
0: with? So it's supposed to end with a glottal stop. Okay so like i think in in, in cantonese back mm-hmm. or something with a k um and you see that sort of inherited loss of the checked tone and then they borrowed it back uh which is something sort of unique to Hokkien, i think it
1: is but uh it, it's it's very comforting to know that when we have a check tone in cantonese it's it's going to be one of
0: the two it's either the glottal stop or the corresponding ptk I've, I've heard that actually uh hong kong cantonese is starting to have some mergers with the czech tones um uh with the check tones less. I feel so, like there are there are a k couple. and k is merging to t or something not very widespread the most
1: widespread merger would be just one specific uh word that is gap and it became gap uh but otherwise i i well and i, I don't Hong know Kong cantonese speakers are,
0: are losing the velar nasal initial v- right L- like oh, Deng- oh yeah yeah that is that's yeah.
1: something that's going on we yeah. we do a lot of mergers and sound changes with the initials less so mm-hmm. with the fine i mean there is also the 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 ng becoming the n at the end mm-hmm. so with dung and dang. my dad is incapable of saying dung so that is something that has been going on for decades and decades.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we are almost at time, We've got 10 minutes oh, left. No. And before <laughs> before we go, I did want to ask, what is your take on output? So you're in the refold community, mm-hmm. but you predate the refold community. You've been in the polyglot community, the language learning community about as long as I have for a long time. Um, you mentioned since you were a teenager. So it's been been like 10 years. Um, And obviously, you do things your way, you're you're not like a a refolder. So what is your opinion on outputting? I see this a lot with the community where the community is like afraid to output. Um, And we call it output anxiety. Uh, And do you have that? Or is that something unique to people who take a high input method and just never speak?
1: Yeah, Wow. Well, we went for the million dollar question. Uh, I, Yeah, I, I am quite concerned for the people who have output anxiety, because um, one of the main things, I would not say the main thing, uh, but one of the main things you want to do with the language is to speak it. Uh, but I, I understand it because I am also a very input heavy guy. Uh, and I, I think that uh, I, I'm, I never avoid output but I I I feel like in in this sense'm I'm, I'm a lot in, I have a lot in common with Steve Kaufman because he who would say that you you wait until you feel comfortable uh, and you are able to to have a meaningful conversation but what happens when they never feel comfortable so the uh see, see that that's where it gets personal because for me i I have a faith in my process, and I know that at some point uh things make sense um, and usually for me, that's more about the the structure um so for example, um Welsh makes sense now to me, even though my vocabulary is very limited i uh the the sentence structure it makes perfect sense to me, so this is the point when I would start practicing output and uh, this is uh, yeah and that's actually what happened to me because uh, a couple of months ago I booked a package uh, for Welsh on italki I did two classes and then I thought no that this doesn't work for me it's not I'm not having any sort of meaningful uh, exchange with the teacher Um, because a lot of time I'm struggling with forming sentences it's one thing to lack the words but it's other thing to have the words and like not being able to put them together. But now I'm at the point where I feel like I can, if I have the words, then that's a big, if, if I have the words, I am able to put them together, uh, relatively easily. And, uh, so that's why I just booked another lesson for next week. So I'm, I'm restarting output in Welsh, but, um, uh, so to me, I think that's where I draw the line when when the, the structure makes sense to me. And obviously, that's a very subjective feeling. But um, that's my advantage <laughs> from having learned like a dozen languages. I, I know where the point is. Uh, so I feel like if I were to give advice to anyone, uh, it's, it's not a useful piece of advice, but I, I would recommend they, they find where the point is for them personally, because everyone's different. And um, for example, I, I, I'm an introvert. I, I don't, I'm not the kind of person who would like to use the 10 words I have to go and talk to someone. Uh, I appreciate people who do that. That's, that's just not me. Uh, so that's why um, I, I would get anxiety as well, but from a different source, <laughs> I just, I'm just scared of speaking in front of people. But I think that's perfectly fine, because um, I have faith that at some point it is going to to make sense. And that faith um, partly comes from my experience of learning English, Hmm. because um, I I did learn English from input because uh, it was at one point in my secondary school life um, where I had a good foundation in English from studying in school. But I suddenly got very into like tech stuff. So I started reading tech blogs, watching videos, reviews, things like that. And then whenever I found a new word, I would put it down somewhere. I don't necessarily study the words, but I just put it down. So so as a very simple mental note that I noticed that word is interesting to me. That is a word that might be useful in the future. And then somehow a couple of years later, I speak English. Decent, uh, decently well uh despite having messed up that <laughs> that one word uh so i i know that if i keep doing the same thing that
0: is going to happen as well in other languages so having learned english to a high level has given you confidence in how you go about learning languages
1: yeah it gave me trust in the process i would say yeah
0: and i think it I think ultimately a lot of us Americans uh, and other anglophones are chronically monolingual. We did not have that experience. So, uh, so I, I,
1: yeah, I, I sympathize with that. So when, when someone says you should learn Esperanto just for the experience of learning a language to learn how to learn a language, even if I don't completely agree with that course of action, I absolutely can see where they're coming from because once you've done it once, you know how it goes so um yeah i i feel like the the best way is to to be taught the language well early in life but if you've already missed that period uh you could always um find just find something that will help you um get that experience down um and i i guess in in terms of the revo community that is someone else telling you that it works
0: yeah, uh, there's a bit of an issue with sometimes refold coming off as a little culty. Like, trust the process, bro. <laughs> it's going to work. Um, and, you know, it's hard to take things on faith. I I, I know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because um, for me, it's it's like I get my faith from my experience. But when someone else, even if they've had that experience, even if I tell you now that something works, uh it it feels a bit weird to just take my word for it uh so and and also of course the process is very personal like i i'm sure that one method would never fit every single learner so uh it's there are some principles that are worth noting but at the same time you really need to find what works and what doesn't work and you need to be sensitive to that as well because i've tried different methods as well uh with my dozen of languages. I've tried doing this, a bit of that. And sometimes I just feel like something's not doing much for my progress.
0: And you're not uh, afraid to try things. So a lot of people coming into the language learning for the first time, getting into refold, they wouldn't, you know, you've done Duolingo in some languages. You use things like CloseMaster. You're not sticking to the whole Anki to immersion pipeline you're doing other things on top of it. And I think that that's a good thing. Ultimately, I think it's, you you see it a lot with um, people who learn strictly from immersion, and strictly from frequency lists, they have these bizarre gaps. Um, Like Brie, for example, she had been learning Spanish for two years by, you know, via immersion, didn't know the word for coffee pot. Um, Okay, somebody didn't know the word for floor in German, after a year of German because it had not come up, whereas exactly. um, I think that sometimes textbook vocab w- is very well rounded, I think.
1: Yes, um, that, that's also kind of why I'm starting to steer back towards textbooks as well, uh, because uh, yeah, you, you you need those, uh, what's, what's the English word? Because I know the Polish word, I learned it like last month. Uh, yeah, you, you need something to fill in the holes with. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's uh, yeah, I remember writing my review for Glossica back in the day when it was completely different. Uh,
0: and I, I first my... did Glossica
1: when it was uh, PDF. It was PDF. I, I love the PDFs. But one of my main issues was that I mean, it's not it's not like Glossica specifically, but with the concept of using one course, it's that I didn't know how to say basic things like boy and girl because it didn't come mm-hmm. up in the course. So that is also issue my with issue Alaska. with uh, what I said earlier about having everything based on one course. Because if you just keep using the same course again and again, if the course doesn't have something that you need, you're not going to have that. So mm-hmm. you always have to combine different things. Um, and to me, immersion is is the the thing that sort of boosts your your understanding and in your it, it makes the language make more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is. That That is something that I, I buy into, but at the same time, uh, I'm also more and more aware that I need to do some good old studying because even though I said I, I get my experience from learning English, I sometimes forget that that immersion learning experience is backed by like 10 years of school study. And there's a lot of vocabulary that had already been there when I started doing my immersion. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. I I need to do do more different things, <laughs> and it's hard when I'm when I'm a bit too ambitious with my different languages, uh,
0: but it's a trade-off. Now, Israel, before we go, do you have any parting words for the listeners? Anything you want to say? Wow,
1: you really put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> no, I I think most important thing of all in language learning is to have fun, and sometimes I feel like some people forget that uh they make it into get, a job yeah exactly they they get too absorbed in the process to absorbed in the methodology and whether they make progress or their statistics some things like that and then they they might forget to enjoy it and to me and also i hope to neuroscientists it, it you learn more quickly uh when you are enjoying the process and that's uh that's the sole reason i'm doing all of this
0: all right and israel thank you for being on
1: yeah thanks so much for having me
0: i want to thank you for listening to this episode of the refold podcast if you're watching the live premiere you're in luck right as it ends we have an after party over on the refold central discord server come join us by using refold.link forward slash join and chat about the episode if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, you can find older episodes to listen to on YouTube and Spotify. Let us know what you thought about the video by liking and leaving a comment below. Do you have suggestions for upcoming visitors or requests for particular topics? Please feel free to reach out to me on Discord at georgepig 5413 or via email at clayton at refold. LA. Thank you all for watching and or listening, and I'll see you next week.